It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and the virtual bible study for thursday march 10th is on your computer tonight thank you for joining the program we're glad that you're on the other end of the line and we look forward to your participation Toll free tonight. The number is 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. And we have a chat room if you're listening to us live. It is to the right of your video window, and it's very easy for you to sign in. Several uh, listeners uh, never sign into that. We would encourage you to sign into the chat room and uh, join in the discussion with other listeners there tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Always look forward to our Thursday night studies on the Internet, and we're glad for everybody who's out there. As you said, we crave your participation. Uh, We think it makes our program better. And uh, so if you are uh, able to do so by email or phone or in that chat room, anybody's able to do the chat room, as you said, Jacob. We right. do we do think it's helpful if you give yourself at least a pseudonym. You don't have to. You don't have to, but it would be helpful so we can kind of keep track of who's saying what in the chat room. All right. Uh, maybe you just use your, your pseudonym could be your favorite verse of the Bible or something. Like that. There you go. All right. Uh, well, we've got an interesting discussion tonight and a discussion I think that a lot of people will want to join in in the chat room on. What's the topic for tonight? Well, we're, the, the general subject for discussion tonight is church buildings. But we want to look at several different aspects of the question about church buildings. We're going to talk about church buildings. Are they authorized? And what is the, if they are, and assuming they are, I think we're going to come to the conclusion that they are, obviously. What are the authorized uses of the church building? Here are the questions we sent out earlier today to our update list. As always, we remind you, you can get on our update list by just sending us an email, questions at collegeview.com, and just put in the subject line, add me to your list. We'll do it. Um, Usually midday Thursday, we send out our update, and here's what we did today. Question number one, is there scriptural authority for a local church to own a church building? Huh. Now, that's a yes or no question, but we want some explanation. We don't want just yes or no. We want a yes or no and an explanation of your answer. <clears throat> question two, what principles should be considered in the furnishings of a church building? Specifically, how should we view steeples, special decorations, ornamentations, and so forth? Basically, we're asking how fancy should a church building be? Are you wanting to gold plate the pulpit where you normally That's preach? what I want to know. Well, you, what, uh, if someone offered that suggestion, yeah. what would you say about okay. it, so, sort of? Number three, what are the proper uses of a church building? And number four is a follow-up to that one. In particular, is it right to eat in the building? All right. You know, some people use that expression, oh, they don't believe in eating in the building, or they eat in the building and we don't eat in the building, or something of that nature. Uh, I, I, I do think it's very important for us to discuss all the implications. That I think that's really an oversimplified statement that doesn't really explain where people stand on the broader question of what are the authorized uses of a church building. All right. The number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address is questions at collegeview.com. The chat room 
is open as well. We look forward to your participation. We will take these questions in the order that they've been presented tonight, and so you can be prepared to join in as we go through the discussion. You know, Dad, this discussion tonight was, uh, to some extent, prompted by a friend of ours who uh, had asked for some input on the subject of church buildings, but I don't think uh, he's alone in his questioning and wondering about... uh, you know, the particulars of how the, the church building gets used. I think obviously not. And, and and furthermore, it's even been a divisive subject. I mean, mm-hmm. brethren are divided on, on the question of the church building and its appropriate uses. And so I think it's a, an important discussion. All right. The number again, 877-381-4567. We look forward to hearing from you. Uh, give us a call tonight and let us know your thoughts. We, we Let's just go immediately to our first question is there scriptural authority for the church, local church to own a building? I'm going to get one email uh, that just came in so I don't forget to get it, Jacob. Wade in Hampshire, Tennessee writes, After the church began in Acts uh, chapter 2, we know that 3,000 were baptized. And in verse 46 it says, And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. I'm not sure how many people could gather in the temple. It seems that this would be on the temple grounds because there were only so many places that just any Jew would be able to go in the temple. In Romans 16.5, it says, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. 1 Corinthians 16.19, The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. In Colossians 4.15, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in thy house. And then Acts chapter 20, verse 7, Beginning upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered. So he says, here are several places that the disciples used as a gathering place to worship. What we are not told is how they got those places. We can assume the temple was free. The houses were probably provided by the members. This upper room may have been rented by the church or owned by the church. We understand that the command to assemble is mentioned in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, we have to, we have to assemble I believe the Lord leaves the time, not the day, and the place up to us. Whether we rent, buy, or borrow is not specified. So if it's not specified but the Bible requires it, then it becomes a general command that we have some judgment in obeying. So what uh, Wade is trying to establish there is the generic authority to assemble without any specifics about where that is. Now, if they had always met in a temple or they'd always met in an upper room somewhere, then we would be bound by that example. It would be exclusive. and We'd have to follow the example. I think that's right. When we have, we know that ex, that examples are authoritative. That we that we gain Bible authority by virtue of approved apostolic commands. And if those ex, commands are, or excuse me, if those examples, if those apostolic examples are exclusive, as you said, they're always the same. They never vary. Then we believe that that becomes a binding example in which we should we should follow that pattern. But for instance, in regards to for example, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, they met to observe the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. That's the only example we've got. We learn what day to observe the Lord's Supper by example. That's the only example we've got. Therefore, we believe it's an exclusive example, right. and we're bound by it. Uh, so we observe the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. But in regards to the places where saints met, as Wade pointed out in his in his email, there are several different venues. There's no set pattern. And so there's no exclusive pattern and therefore, we believe that this is in the realm of things generally authorized and left up to our discretion to comply. All right. We appreciate uh, those comments from Wade. James in Columbia, good to hear from James, says there is authority for the church to assemble. 
With the responsibility comes the authority, for God would not ask us to do something that he does not allow us to do. The local church may assemble in any facility. The local churches in the New Testament assembled in the temple, in people's homes, and in some third-party facility unnamed in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but not their own home. And so uh, James makes an interesting point there from 1 Corinthians 11. I, I think that, uh, uh, as as James also mentioned and Wade mentioned in his email, when when the Lord commands us to do something, and he has commanded us to assemble, Hebrews 10.25 is the verse we always use, but in the command to assemble, it is inherent that there must be a designated place of such assembly. Now, you know, you could meet out under a tree in a pasture somewhere. That'd work some days. It'd be, in fact, it'd be really nice on some days, <laughs> but a lot of other days it would be completely uh, right. a bad judgment, and it would not be expedient to choose that shade tree in the middle of a pasture on a certain days. So uh, since this command exists and it's a general command to assemble, then we are at liberty to use our discretion to make an expedient choice as to where to meet. Paul adds another one in the chat room. He says they were meeting in the school of Tyrannus as well. That's right. I believe that's in uh, what? Acts chapter. Is that 17? I should know that. All right. Well, no, 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 no. Nope, it's not Acts chapter 17. It was, it's 19. No, okay. All right. Uh, All right. Yeah, Acts 19.9. Okay. I uh, appreciate Paul for that. In fact, Paul has sent in his answers to our question in the form of email as well. Uh, he says, I find it frustrating that in an effort to justify unauthorized practices that I've heard people say, there is no authority for a building. Uh, they seem to think that if this were true, it would cause their unauthorized practice to be allowed if they were right, then I would say get rid of the church building. Don't bring any unauthorized practice in. However, I do believe there is authorization for the church to purchase or build a place to meet. Uh, Paul makes a good observation. I, I think he's exactly right. There's a little more to his statement there, Jacob. But oh, I, oh, that's another paragraph, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He said, I think the confusion comes in an understanding in the difference between generic and specific authority. You could spend the entire hour on that topic, but fundamentally where God has specified we must not generalize, but the general command to assemble in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, and the example of Acts chapter 20, verse 7, allows us to enlist in our judgment an expedient way to fulfill our godly responsibility. I think Paul's exactly right there, and I think his observations are spot on. The the uh, I like the point he made uh, there in his first part of his comment. I have, I have, as he mentioned, heard people say, we do a lot of things that we don't have any authority for. For instance, we don't have any authority for a church building, but we have church buildings. So we can and, do. And, and so what they imply is, well, we do we, we, we do the church building thing without authority. Therefore, we can do these other things without authority. And I'm like, Paul, if in fact there is no authority for the church building, then we need to get rid of all of our church buildings. We should not use one wrong to justify another wrong. And what they're admitting is if you don't have authority for everything, you can't demand it for anything. And yeah. Using their own logic there. Yeah, that's and, right. And so, that's about where they go. Okay. Well, yeah. some do. Some yeah, do. Exactly right. Okay. And we have an email from Justin. Justin's in California. We appreciate him. He's in the chat room tonight as well. He says, uh, yes, we do have authority for a church to own a building. And Matthew, Jesus went into the temple and called it his own and a place of prayer. Then he healed the blind and the lame. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. He references Matthew 21, verses 12 through 14. And overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Um, so Justin references that account in Matthew 21 and says, There's your authority for a church building. 
Okay, uh, I'm a little I'm a little uh, vague on on the application. Uh, other than to to tie in with what Wade was saying earlier, they did use that temple as a as a, a meeting place in in the early days of the Jerusalem congregation, and so I, I think you could tie that in. Now, the temple was a place of Old Testament worship. We understand okay. is a little bit different in the New Testament uh, yeah. age that we live in today. Yeah, exactly right. But I, I do think that there's definitely some worthy uh, conclusions to be drawn from the from the attitude that Jesus had toward the temple, you know, that that it was it was for a specific purpose. It ought to be used for that purpose and not for other things. We would and say that, it's sanctified. And so that will lead us, that, that will be a, a pertinent thing to, to apply maybe also later in our discussion, our study tonight. All right. Uh, Mike and Chris in Columbia say, yes, we are commanded to assemble in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Therefore, we must have a place to meet. I believe there's authority to own a church building. However, the brethren at that congregation would have to make a decision on how best to use the church funds to find a place to meet, whether they buy a building or have uh, to rent. Some people say that we shouldn't own a building because there is no example of that in the New Testament. If we are to follow exactly that line of thinking, then Mark chapter 16, verse 15, where it says to go into all the world and preach the gospel into every creature, we would have to follow the example of going by foot or boat since that was the way they traveled back then on missionary trips. The command to go is generic. The command to assemble is also generic. If we say we can use a diff- different modes of transportation than what they use in the New Testament to fulfill that command, then the same reason would apply to assembling for a place to meet. If we can't own a building because they didn't assemble in church buildings in the New Testament, then it would also be wrong to meet under a tree in a field because there's no example of that either. Well, I think, I think again, this answer is right on. It's, it's very clear that... All who have responded are keying in on that Hebrews 10.25 command to assemble. The command to assemble requires that some place be provided for such assemblies. Now, again, and I agree that you can't definitively prove that the church, any congregation in the New Testament owned a building. You can't definitively prove that. I don't think you can definitively exclude it either. I think that it is in the realm of possible things. I would... I would probably admit that I think it's pretty unlikely that they owned their own building in the first century. I just don't know. You can't say for sure. It doesn't matter because, as Mike points out clearly in his email, that the general command allows for anything that fits within the the aspects of that general command. Mm-hmm. We're left to make an expedient choice. And I like his parallel to the command to go. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. The command to go is a general command. Therefore, in those days, as he pointed out, you'd go on foot, maybe riding on a beast, sailing in a ship. And that's about all the options you had in going. We've got a lot more opportunities to go by car, train, and plane, by TV, radio, and now Internet. Now, if 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 you have to say, though, they never preached the gospel by the Internet in the first century, therefore you you all are doing something without authority, we would say, no, that's wrong. That's a wrong observation. We have authority to, to preach on the Internet within the with, – it, it is inherent within the general command to go to, the, to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so that, I think Mike is, is uh, certainly drawing an accurate conclusion from that. All right, we have a few more responses to take on that, and we have time to take yours as well. But we're going to go ahead and take a break. And while we're taking a break, why not get in line on the phone, get in line in the email, or send your comments in via the chat room tonight. Take the minute during the break to sign in if you're not well, signed in. Well, the chat room is quiet today. It's dead. Yeah, it's somebody dead. start talking in the chat room. Paul, yeah, Paul is uh, the only one who's doing any commenting tonight, so send in your comments there. We'll take a break, and we'll get back right after this.
Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. Do you remember when you went to church and heard sermons that clearly set forth the New Testament plan of salvation? Can you recall when churches rang out with lessons that plainly exposed false teachers and false doctrines? Can you think back to a time when preachers and members of the church were set for the defense of the gospel? If you are craving to find a congregation that is like the church you can remember from years ago, like the church back in the first century, please visit the College View Church soon. They're trying hard to be a church just like the church you remember, like the one you read about in your Bible. Come and see. Visit the College View Church of Christ. Here's some quotes to ponder. The measure of a man is seen in the things which he allows to annoy him. A person who can't lead and won't follow is really nothing more than a roadblock. Man, I wish I'd said that. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The Virtual Bible Study rolls along. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. What's up with the tie tonight? Are you trying to make me look bad? No, I, I attended a, a function earlier today, and I had to dress up okay, for it, so right. I'm dressed up a little bit Well, tonight. you don't have to dress up to comment tonight. Send in your comments via the chat room tonight, or send your email, or give us a phone call. We look forward to hearing from you as we talk about church buildings on the program tonight. And do we have authority? Now, does it matter? Are we being picky about this, or uh, does it matter if we have authority for the church building? Well, I think it absolutely matters. You know, Colossians, the the the, the underlying verse here is Colossians 3.17. Whatsoever do in word or deed, do all in the name of or by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to have authority for it. It is not an acceptable answer to say, well, we do a lot of things without authority. We can't, we're not supposed to do anything without authority. All right, so it does matter then, and so it is important and a worthy discussion. Keith in Hendersonville, Tennessee tonight, sends in his response. Inherit in the command to assemble is having a place to assemble. Since no specifics have been given to us as to how this is to be accomplished, it is left up to the expediency of each congregation to make that decision. It may be rented, purchased, built. The church can meet in a pavilion at the park. The object is that the church is to assemble. We find that Paul said that we were not to forsake, well, he assumes it's Paul, uh, and uh, not to forsake the assembly of themselves in Hebrews chapter 10. And the, so he agrees yeah. uh, with right, the right, comments right. so far. It, 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 we've got unanimous agreement, I think, uh, from all who have responded. And our friend Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, uh, replies, Scriptural authority for a building? Yes. The scriptural authority is found in the command to come together, which necessitates a place. Be it rented, loaned, or purchased, saints must have a designated place to come together. The saints in Corinth had a place, though it is not stated how they came to have that place. But since the command was... When you come together in the church, 1 Corinthians 11:18, it suggests that they had a regular place. When Paul went, met with the saints at Troas, Acts 20, beginning verse 6, it's obvious that they had a place to meet because we are told there were lights in the upper chamber where they met. When Paul told the saints in Rome to salute Priscilla and Quilla, he also said to salute the church that was in their home, Romans 16:3 and following. In each case, a place to meet is discussed. All right. Exactly right. Thank you, Jim. And Paul makes an interesting comment in the chat room. He says it isn't necessary to be a real. It isn't a necessity to be a real church to own a meeting house, free community building, a rented hall, a privately owned location could all be used. You don't have to have a church building to be a real church. Paul says. Yeah, and Eric says that might even be more expedient in some instances to not own a building. Paul counters. Yeah. And says, but it is many times more expedient uh, to have a permanent location. Yeah, you know that'd be that'd be interesting to get some feedback. And those of you who are in the in the chat room, feel free to give us a, a little feedback on this. In the modern day, in our place and time, we're not, you know, and it might be different. And it likely is different in in other places of the world today, even today. But in our time and place, uh, what is your judgment as to the pros, the, the, whether it is better or? not to own a building. I would argue, and I think Paul is is hinting at this, that 
in in our place in our time it seems like it is the best judgment to own a facility to have a recognized presence in a community a, a place that people connect with and know that you know so that when they people are not always looking for something religious but but from time to time everybody thinks of those things and we need to be in such a position that people know where we are and what we're doing and and i think an expedient uh in that is to have a, a recognized place of assembly we have a celebrity in the chat room tonight brian williams is in the chat room tonight uh, i wonder if he's the same brian williams we see on the news uh he says i know early christians met in their homes uh they met daily and shared in many meals together including communion on the first day of the week uh and so we do have a example of and another first century Another guest in the chat room says, we rent a Grange building, uh, and and I know that there are a lot of congregations that do use rented or even use, are, are sometimes use facilities, community facilities that they're able to access for free. And so just, there's plenty of opportunities. There's plenty of different means, And it, but uh, I think the conclusion we've reached from on, on our first question, Jacob, is there's certainly authority, and we, it is up, left up to our expedient decision as to what it will be. All right. Uh, the person who says they rent a building uh, goes on to f- add that uh, we have arrived to find the building was used and not cleaned up. And so uh, one time there was a beer keg even in that. Uh, and and so, that would be the downside of okay. not having your own sure. facility, sure. a dedicated facility. Okay. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. And join in the chat room with other listeners tonight. We appreciate the comments so far. We look forward to taking yours as well. You know, uh, in regards to making authorized, expedient decisions, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10:23, all things are lawful for me. That is, all things are authorized, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Uh, so in regards to lawful things, some things are a good judgment and some things are not a good judgment. And so if we're trying to do our very best in service to the Lord, what we want to do then is make good judgments in areas where we have that privilege to do so. We need okay. to make expedient choices in lawful things, is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. You know what? You might illustrate that, Jacob, with the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's Supper is to be observed on the first day of the week. Right. We, we, we I think we all agree that that's what we learn from Acts 20, verse 7. That doesn't tell us what time of day they they specifically took the Lord's Supper. So any time within that 24-hour window would be authorized, but it'd be a bad choice to say we're going to do it at 3 a.m. on Sunday morning. You'd ha- you'd- it'd be authorized, but it wouldn't be expedient. Mm-hmm. And so we, in the realm of things that are expedient or, or lawful, we need to use good judgment make choices that are expedient, helpful, that contribute and make things better, not worse. Okay, right. Uh, But uh, we do have to admit, though, there is going to be some judgment. And uh, and we'll have to give in areas of that judgment, but we have to keep the judgment in line with the... Well, uh, and, and in, in matters of judgment, we submit to one another. You know, in First Timothy, First Peter, rather, First Peter chapter 5, in First Peter chapter 5, Verse verse 5, Peter says, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Okay. And so we, we should submit in matters of judgment. If, if, I'm, if I'm a member of a congregation and I have a really strong feeling that we should build, buy and, or build a building, have our own building, 
But everybody else in the congregation, or at least, you know, a, a strong percentage of them think we're doing just fine to meet in this rented hall or this community building, then I, I don't I should not press my opinion on that to the point of, you know, some kind of trouble or strife sure. in the church. Sure. We need to submit. All right. We look forward to hearing from you. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Email questions at collegeu.com. So if there is authority, then how much is too much? How do you decide what to do? This yeah, time? we ask a question, and I see a I see a, a note in the chat room from a guest there it says owning a building isn't wrong. However, I think it could be if the men or the elders decide to overspend or misuse the Lord's money. So it could be, however, that the main point is that we do have the authority to do it. But what with that authority comes the responsibility to rightly use the Lord's money. A good, and, good point. And that's a segue to our second question, Jacob. Yes, it is. The second question we put out there is what principles should be considered in the furnishings of church buildings? Specifically, how should we view steeples, special decorations, ornamentations, and so forth? Just basically, how fancy should a church building be? And we put a gold plate on that pulpit that you used. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. We've got an email uh, answer from James here in Columbia who says, if a church decides to have a building, there will be certain regulations or architectural standards that will have to be met to be in compliance. That being said, the elders of the church have the responsibility to practice good stewardship with the money that has been provided. There is definitely a point in which there is ex- excess, but to lay forth a specific standard would be binding where God is not bound. James makes, a, I think, a, 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 an observation that I would not have thought of, but uh, it is certainly appropriate. In regards to the building, one requirement would be you've got to do whatever is required by code. You know, for instance, uh, we might say, you know, one bathroom that the men and women can share it ought to be plenty. Yeah. You know, and uh, if they can't make do with that, then they'll just have to, you know, do otherwise. Yeah, but, <laughs> that'd be made by someone who doesn't have a wife, probably. Yeah. yeah. But but the code says no, you can't do that. If you're going to have a, a okay. building for public assembly, you're going to have to meet certain standards in regards to the restrooms and uh, handrails. Uh, you know, maybe a handicap ramp, and there may be emer- nobody. Emergency lighting, handicap entrance, and so forth. There may be nobody in the congregation who's in a wheelchair, and you may say that's not uh, that's not a wise use of the Lord's money, since nobody here is in a wheelchair. But codes require it and so you're going to have to do it if you're yeah, have to yeah. so that would factor into some of the ornamentation or furnishings of the building so i think that's a good observation okay. uh i think he agrees that you could you could make you could get to a point where it's just excessive but that's a matter of judgment and so you know you, you can't bind a lot of brethren for instance say that steep a lot of our brethren say that a steeple on a church building is just excessive that you know uh, uh, you know how much those things cost? I heard. I, I knew one brother who referred to it as non-functional architecture. <laughs> uh, you know, a steeple doesn't do anything. Yeah. And so we shouldn't spend any money to have it. I thought it made the prayers get directed. You got that sort of like a rifle barrel. There. Maybe. Okay. I think that's what some people think. Okay. Other, but I know other good brethren who say they just think that a, the a, a, some kind of modest steeple. Now, obviously, we're not spending mega bucks on it, but you know. Uh, some money spent to make the church have an appearance of what it is, the church building have the appearance of what it is versus just a block building sitting out in a in a, a, a bare lot, uh, might be worth doing. It might be a, a, a reasonable expenditure. It might be an expedient. So, you know, does, where, do, where do you come down on that? Let's get All some right. of these Paul answers. Paul says there's going to need to be uh, uh, there's going to be the need 
to allow for some judgment on this. The facilities should be conducive to the reason for which they are being built, worship and study. But we know that Christians are the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, and not the building. We are the church, and the building is simply a meeting house. We should not be in the business of building cathedrals. But as I stated, some judgment is going to have to be exercised in how fancy do you get. Yeah. Appreciate that comment, Paul. Yeah, Paul, thank you. Um, we got an answer from Justin in California. who says, I am, I am unable to locate anything in the New Testament that says to make the building itself fancy. But 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in, them, dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. This says that we have to be careful not to make idols out of things in the church building. Uh, pretty good observation. I think I know some folks maybe who do that. You know, that, that this becomes like a, a, some kind of temple that the pagans might have. We've got to have it just absolutely elaborate. I appreciate that. The building itself could become an idol. Appreciate uh, that comment, I, Justin. I think that it is possible for us to be too much, go get excessive and go too far in the ornamentation of buildings. I remember um, one time when I was overseas, one of the people who was not a Christian but was troubled by some of the temples that they saw uh, said, why does God need all of this? Mm -hmm. Talking about the fancy uh, uh, religious cathedrals that existed in that city. And and I, I referred that person to Acts 17, 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And that seemed to be an answer that, that sort of struck a chord with that individual. Uh, God does not necessitate or even desire to have excessive palaces or cathedrals for the purposes of worshiping him we're not he's not worshiped that way like many denominationalists think that he is all right well we need to take a break and we'll continue the discussions on the other side but we have a comment in the chat room about your steeple comment uh the suggestion is maybe you should put up a sign and forget the steeple well the sign might be more economical yeah uh, and so and it's by all the about way i didn't i didn't want my comments to be taken in defense of steeples uh we don't have a steeple and I'd probably argue against it. I'm just saying that that there might be some room for judgment judgment in that. Well, and uh, what's more expedient? Does yeah. uh, the steeple get the message out uh, more economically than a sign, or is a sign more economical? What you know, what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah. Okay, we'll take a break. Get this week's bullet point, and hopefully get your comments on the other side. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Email questions at collegeview.com, or send your comments in the chat room tonight. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. Wow, it isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. At an assembly of the Presbyterian Church, the delegates approved what they called a compromise policy statement on the subject of abortion. It says, quote, The Presbyterian Church USA does not advocate abortion, but instead acknowledges circumstances in a sinful world that may make abortion the least objectionable of difficult options. Analyze that statement for a moment. It is one of the finest examples of situation ethics mentality that you may ever see. These folks admit that abortion is wrong, but then argue that in some situations there may be no acceptable alternative. In other words, there are simply some instances when a person cannot do right. There are times when you must choose between the lesser of two evils. God's Word denies this concept completely. There's never a justifiable reason to do wrong. 
1 Corinthians 10:13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. If you need more proof, consider all the faithful servants of God throughout the centuries of time. Think of Noah, Moses, Elijah, and others who endured difficult and trying times, yet remained loyal to God. Early Christians suffered intense persecution, but were steadfast in their service to the Lord. The ultimate example is Jesus, who did no sin, and left us an example that ye should follow in his steps, 1 Peter 2, verses 21 and 22. And so, the Presbyterians have missed it. But be careful about judging them without first looking at your own life. Too many Christians often excuse their spiritual neglect by using similar reasoning. They say things like, I know I should be more faithful in attendance, but I've been so busy at work. Or, I know that what I did was wrong, but I just couldn't help it under the circumstances. Remember, wrong is always wrong. Faithfulness to God requires making right choices, even in difficult circumstances. And it is never a matter of choosing, quote, the least objectionable option. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight, and if you have to choose between listening to us or listening to a listener, call in on the phone. I think the listener is the least objectionable option there, so why not give us a call? You don't have to listen to us. There is at least an objectionable option. All right. We're talking about the church building tonight, and in a minute we're going to talk about the proper uses of a church building. We've established that they are authorized by the Scriptures, but what are the acceptable and authorized uses of them? And as we talk about that, we'll talk about what if someone is doing something in a church building that is unauthorized, can you participate? Let's let's wrap up this real quickly, wrap up this discussion of what, how fancy should a church building be, basically. We said, I, th- I think the, the worry or concern that most people have is to, is to be excessive, to spend on things that we shouldn't be spending on. That's certainly something to be on guard against. I, I, would, I would make a point, Jacob, in, in favor of not being too... Um, Chintzy, I guess is what I want to say okay. about the ornamentation of a building. In other words, why why would I want the church building? Why, why would I make decisions about how the church building should be finished out that I wouldn't be satisfied with in regards to just the, the uh, my average house, how it's finished out? You know, in the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verse 3, uh, then came the word of the Lord to Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie in waste? In other words, the people of Israel who had come back uh, to rebuild the temple had done it. They were busy taking care of their own properties and fixing up their own places like they liked them, but they, they didn't pay any attention to the temple at all. And I think there's sort of a principle there. You know, we don't want to be excessive, but on the other hand, you know, what is it appropriate for us to have so little concern for these things that that the the meeting place of the church is pretty cruddy and in disrepair or a distraction and becomes a distraction because it is not appropriately furnished okay so i think you can err on either end of the spectrum too much or too little again it's a matter of judgment we have to use good judgment all right uh, we look forward to your comments if you'd like to send them in tonight um, here's an interesting comment from mike and chris each congregation can make their own decisions regarding the furnishings however i would say that things that are not necessities in filling god's commands are not necessary and could be sinful even if authorized for instance if the materials to make songbooks skyrocket in price and they become outrageously expensive 
I think it would be wrong for a congregation to spend money on them when the command can be fulfilled in a different way. Interesting point. Again, but again, it goes to the point judgment. of judgment. Right. All right. Okay. Uh, and this is from Keith in Hendersonville. He says, I think there's a proper manner of adornment based on the rule of decency and orderliness as Paul relates to the Corinthian brethren. That'd be 1 Corinthians, what, uh, 14, verse 40. Uh, well, this is more in keeping with what they are doing. It perhaps is also be applicable to the manner of building which they are meeting. But the building is in the church, and the Lord is more mindful of our hearts continuously. The church could very well meet, and many have, in the cafeteria of a school building. In other words, it doesn't make any difference, but I think building monstrous, monstrous buildings doesn't give praise to God at all and is wasting the treasury. Okay. All right. All right. And, and Jim yeah. in Mount Pleasant uh, says... That which is uh, furnishings. So he's talking about uh, how elaborate you go. Yeah. Furnishings. That which is necessary for saints to come together uh, during the time of worship and Bible study. Local governmental code must dictate or might dictate certain things must be provided. Bathrooms, water fountains, stairs, lights, heating, air conditioning, ventilation, etc. Beyond that, what more is needed? Seats and lighting. Sometimes brethren seem to go overboard in their particular taste. What purpose does a steeple serve other than as an architectural adornment? Is it necessary to the building itself? Does it cause brethren to be edified in their service to God? What purpose do stained glass windows serve? Okay, so uh, Jim is uh, maybe. Uh, well, again. I think that's the general. I think that's where most of, of our brethren end up on the question of steeples, sure. stained glass building. Sure, it, it, I would it, agree. It, and, and, it, and, and like that brother said years ago, that's non-functional architecture. There's not much justification for non-functional architecture. But, as Eric said in the chat room a while back there, you know, if you take out everything that doesn't have a specific function, then, you know, you really don't need paint on the walls. You don't need to have wood molding around the baseboards of the floor. I mean, some stuff is non-functional but is deemed appropriate. And so, again, I think we got to leave some So you're not going to drive by a church with a steeple and, or a building with a steeple and condemn the people who put the steeple Not on. necessarily. I mean, I, I, I think it raises some questions because, to me, a steeple is a lot less functional than paint and wood molding uh, around the floorboards. But, I mean, what you have to acknowledge is that these are areas of judgment. All right. Uh, Paul says uh, that's where the judgment enters in. I have seen some, I think he's referring to steeples, that I judge were over the top, and some I would have uh, added some things, but in matters of judgment, I would yield. And so uh, we do have to be careful about about judging things. But Brian mentions the purpose of a steeple is to get noticed, so I think it isn't necessary. Since we sing with our voices, a water fountain assists in clearing our voices. Without pews, people would be restless and not be able to focus on worship. So Brian is saying what we were saying, that... You know, some things are judgment, but deemed good judgments, and other things are deemed questionable judgment. Okay. If you were in charge of getting architectural plans put together for a church building, would you go to the architect and say, hey, we got to have a steeple in the front? No, I'm not going to put a steeple right. on there. Okay. So your judgment would be not My to judgment is no steeple, okay. but that, again, I acknowledge that's my judgment. Okay. All right. Let us know your thoughts. We all Are we wrong? What do you think? All right, now we're going to go to the third question. Uh, somebody might want to hang you by, a, by the top of the steeple for what yeah. you said. Yeah, we're going to go to the third question with the follow-up fourth question. The third question was, what are the proper uses of a church building? And then, in particular, is it right to, quote, eat in the building? And uh, so l let's deal with that question. If you're in the chat room, get on that now and give us your think-sos. Uh, and, th and then if... Things are going on in church building are authorized. Can you participate? Yeah. Uh, as a follow-up to the follow-up, we're going to say, what if what if some folks are doing things 
in their building that I don't think are scriptural. What if they have a circus? You know, some of the buildings are big enough to have a circus. And, what uh, if they- and this also uh, goes to the question of what about should I participate? Let's say it's a denominational church building. And they're doing something. They're having Fourth of July fireworks. You always talk about Jacob, right? Should I should I participate in that? So we're going to get to that. Let's go first. What are the proper uses of the church building? James says uh, the church is directed to assemble and to teach. So these are the appropriate uses of the building. Okay, Paul. Uh, uh, clearly that would be that would be in there. All right. Uh, no, no answer from Paul there. He ran out uh, of answers on that. Uh, he, he'll add his answer in the chat room. Hopefully, uh, Justin says proper use of the building should be for worship and not for social activities. Bake sales are not an authorized form of worship. Appreciate that, uh, Justin. Okay, people pretty quick, pretty curt in their answers here. Uh, Mike says, in short, the building can and should be used only for those things that edify, build up, and take the gospel to the lost, things authorized in the scripture. Even though I believe that sometimes we don't use the building enough, that doesn't mean that we should use it for any and every event, regardless of what it is. All right. And Jim in Mount Pleasant says, when we talk about what the church is authorized to do, then we discuss evangelism, edification, and benevolence. That which fits in these three areas are what the building can be used for, teaching Bible classes, worship, meeting to counsel saints in need of encouragement or edification. Otherwise, that which does not fall into that category of what of which the Lord authorizes the church to do should not involve the use of the building. No fundraising, no storage facility, no business of any kind, uh, no rallies for politicians or community concerns. No use of the building for social recreational purposes. The use of the building should be confi- uh, confined to that which pertains to the work of the church. You know, if you if you justify the building the way we've justified the building tonight, then that would uh, make the use of the building exclusive to that which gives it the justification. Yeah, whatever is, gives it its authorization then also indicates what it should be used for and not for other things. There are some things, though, I would just add to what Jim said. I'm right on with Jim. I think he's exactly right. There are some things that are incidental to the use of the building. For instance, when we when we gather here for for worship, uh, uh, here at College VR, worship begins at 10, Bible study at 930, worship at 1030 on Sunday morning. But people start getting here at 9 o'clock. And not everybody leaves here usually until an hour after we're done. You know, it's usually 1230 before everybody leaves. We got we got a couple hours there where we're having Bible study and worship. But we got time both before and after where people are effectively just socializing. You know, should we wait outside just off the premises? Actually, we should not even bring our cars onto the premises until the instant that it is designated as start time. Rush in, take our seats, do what we came here to do. As soon as the last amen is said, no one uh, uh, says a word to each other. Lights are immediately turned out, and we all evacuate the building just as quickly as we can. In other words, we were authorized to come here for Bible study and worship, but before those things began and after they finished, we greet one another, We and, and there's some socialization that takes place. I argue that those things are incidental what the building is provided for and incidental to our coming here to use the building for such authorized purposes. And so I think we got to be a little bit careful to say, you know, uh, exclusively, if you say the building can only use, be used for Bible study and worship, well, we actually do use it for, a, you know, a few other things, but I, I argue that they are incidental to the purpose for which the building is provided. Let's say, for instance, that there was a terrible flood here in our community, and there were 
tons of people who were homeless and without shelter from the elements. I, I think you could even have them come in here to get out of the rain. This building is not provided as a shelter, uh, you know, from the elements for the general population of our community. But if it's one of the last buildings standing after a terrible tornadic storm has passed through, and the and we and we open the doors and say, get in here, get out of the elements to, to some people who you know are not even members of the church here. That's incidental to what this building was provided for, and I I, I would not object to that. Uh, although it's not within the realm of things that we would list as authorized uses of the building. All right. Well, let's uh, let's open that up uh, for discussion in the chat room tonight, and preferably over the phone. What do you think about that? Let us know your thoughts. We'll take a break, and then we go to the top of the hour. But plenty of time for you to join in the discussion. The virtual Bible study will continue right after these short messages. There's more of the virtual Bible study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. Do you remember when the pulpit was used for the purpose of convicting sinners and teaching them how to be saved? Are you tired of preachers who seem much more inclined to entertain their audience than to teach the truth? Does it seem the sermons you are hearing each week could have easily been given at a PTA meeting or a social club? Do you remember when sin was called sin and at the end of the sermon you knew by book, chapter, and verse what the preacher was talking about and why? The College View Church is still preaching the old Jerusalem gospel that you read about in your Bible. They invite you to investigate for yourself. Come and see. Visit the College View Church of Christ. Hi, my name is Zach Coleman, and when I'm listening to the virtual Bible study, I love to hear comments from other listeners. So please join in tonight's discussion by sending an email or by making a phone call. The address is questions at collegeview.com, and the phone number is toll-free, 877-381-4567. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. Welcome back to the program tonight. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Come and visit with us at the College View Church of Christ. Find out more about us at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. If you have any questions about anything you hear on this program, what the College View Church of Christ believes in practice, please let us know. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Paul mentions in the chat room, uh, I think in, in, along the lines of what I was just saying, he said, I knew a diabetic fellow who needed to keep some kind of supplement uh, in, in case his sugar crashed. I would have no objection but that's a far cry from the dining halls and kitchens that some have added. Okay. You, know, you know, having having the, that fellow having some food stashed away in case he had a, a medical need is incidental. But a purposefully planned kitchen and dining hall is not incidental. It, it, it's specifically planned for such use. So That'd you're different. So this, you're, that, you're saying that's in line with your incidentals yeah. argument. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we got one answer we didn't get to real quick. We're gonna have to hurry, Jay. We're gonna run out of time. We're running out of time. Uh, Keith in Hendersonville says, since the church building is an expediency used to carry out the command to assemble, I'm not sure how to answer the question about what are the proper uses of the building. Do we find we do find Paul condemning the brethren at Corinth for calling the congregation together? For the purpose of doing other than partaking the Lord's Supper and having a love feast instead, I wouldn't. Uh, wouldn't this be just as applicable regardless of what the location the church was called together for worship? The point of Paul's injunction is that bringing the church together is not for physical feasting, but for spiritual feasting. He mentions that they have houses in which to eat, but we do have an approved example in, of Christians in Acts two coming together in houses to partake of meals. This wasn't part of their bond. This was part of their bonding. Paul in Acts sixteen was even served a meal in the same house where he had been preaching. When the young man fell out the window, I think brethren are a bit wrought up on this matter and not thinking clearly. What Paul condemned in First Corinthians was the corrupting of the Lord's Supper into a feast similar in nature to what had been practiced under their prior religious affiliations. 
He does not condemn the church eating a meal together. If he did, I don't know many brethren who aren't condemned. He just says that it isn't to be done as part of the time set aside for worship of the congregation. I would also say he he says it's not a part of the work of the church. Not that a belongs, of the church. belongs in the home, belongs in the family setting. That's what we do as individuals, not as a church. He goes on to say, so in total, I'm not sure how to answer your question. I suppose it is to say that it may be used, the church money may be used to do anything that is scriptural and legal for Christians to engage in together. I got it right there. I, I'm not sure Keith means what that could be taken to imply. Jacob, it's it's uh, scriptural and legal for you and I to enter into the hot dog business. That's right, or an oil change business. Or an oil change business. That's, it, it is scriptural and legal for you and I as individual Christians to do that. That does not mean that we could use the church building to operate our hot dog business or our oil change business. Right. And so we got to make that distinction. There's a distinction what's what's authorized for individuals to do and what's authorized for the church to do. I, it, individuals are authorized, I think, even instructed to, to join together in social interaction. But it is not the authorized work of the church to engage in such social or recreational or entertainment functions for, for by the brethren. I think, I think that... Uh, that, uh, that um Keith. Keith may have just mistyped there. I think, yeah, yeah. I think he would agree with your Yeah, question. I think so, too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, the question is, uh, what is uh, is it right to eat in the church building? Let's, let's real quick go to our answers. We've had real good response by email tonight. Let's go to our answers. And we're missing some in the chat room tonight, so uh, we appreciate those comments, and uh, we'll, we'll try and incorporate those as we have time. Uh, James in the chat in the email tonight says it is not authorized for the church to sponsor non-spiritual activities or activities not related to the works of evangelism, edification, or benevolence for Christians. As far as the act of eating in the building, there may be instances in which a Christian must eat in the assembly for their health. He references diabetics, as someone else did in the chat room as well. But to use the building for the act of eating is not authorized. If someone is working within the building, either in preparing to teach or preparing for the assembly, and plans on spending an extensive amount of time doing this, Someone bringing their meal with them would not uh, seem to violate the principles against eating in the building. Uh, they are not corrupting the assembly. The church is not providing social recreation by doing so, and the church building is not used for this purpose primarily. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, Eric in the chat room says our kids have consumed a ton of Cheerios in various buildings. We know that a lot of times young, the, the little ones are given Cheerios to yep. keep them quiet. Uh, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I think that would go along with what James is saying okay. there. Justin says, um, uh, would taking communion be considered eating in the church? Um, and uh, there were times when Jesus would feed thousands that came to listen to his sermons. If Jesus would feed the church body, would the physical place make a difference? Yeah, I think it does make a difference. Uh, it, it, certainly, we're not talking about communion. That's, that's a spiritual act. Uh, mm-hmm. That's part of the worship of the church. Uh, but I do think it would make a, a, a difference where the church meets together for a common meal okay. uh, or, and the auspices and the oversight, which is exercised in the observance of that common meal. Okay. Um, if we have time to for your call, if you'd like to give us a call now, uh, and we have an email from Mike and Chris, if we define eating as placing a bit of food in our mouth, no, I, then I don't see a problem with it. However, to have a common meal, much like uh, we have on Sunday afternoons, then yes, I do see a problem with it. We can refer to the previous question the church building is bought with money from the church treasury, therefore anything that is used for it has to be used in accordance with God's commands. Uh, I wrote uh, I wrote an article about this uh, a while back. I just want to read a quote out of that. Uh, this is what I said about it some time ago. It's an oversimplification to say we oppose eating in the church building. What we're against in the church building uh, is the church building becoming involved in any unauthorized activity. 
Where's the authority for the local congregation from his treasury to provide for the eating of common social meals? When churches build and maintain large fellowship halls complete with kitchens and necessary gear for the preparation of such meals, they do so without Bible authority. This is what we oppose. 1 Corinthians 11, 20 through 34 gives the only information about a church doing anything similar to that which has become common in many churches today. Paul rebuked them and said that they should restrict that kind of eating to their own homes. Verse 34, it is not authorized for the church to become involved in such things. Okay. All right. Um, Yes, 147 remembers an old story. Someone asked a little child while you come to church and he said to eat. Well, unfortunately, some people would have that. Well, so that's what the, the child said because he's getting stuff poked in his mouth. Well, but, but even some older kids might think that's what the church is for on the basis of what a lot of religious organizations do. Okay. All right. Um, and when Keith in uh, Hendersonville says, I used to have an office in the church building. I was usually there all day. I would take a lunch, put it in the frig- refrigerator where we kept the grape juice for the Lord's Supper and would sit at my desk and have my sandwich. One day a brother visited me at the office and found me eating my sandwich. He said... And not with a smile, you were eating in the church building. I suppose it must have been guilty of some vile sin. I didn't stop to practice. I have no problem with this as long as the practice is not done in connection with calling the church together for a period of worship. Let me ask this. Is it right to call for a Bible study or singing at my house and then have a potluck to boot? What is the difference? I'm not sure I see the logic that have been used, myself included, in saying it isn't okay to eat in the church building because it is used to worship, but we can have a worship service at my house and eat sometimes at the same time. If I'm, Am I missing something? Yeah, I think so, Keith. I, there, there's two realms here. Uh, the, there's the realm of the family. What you do in your own home, you eat, you eat common meals in your own home all the time. You might also sing and pray and have Bible study in your home. But that's not under the auspices of the oversight of the church, and that's not being provided for uh, as a, a work of the church. We're talking about what things are authorized by the church. Maybe you have a Bible study, and then immediately following that, you uh, show a, a decent godly movie. Could the church? Uh, could could you do the same thing in the church building? Could you have make have a movie theater in the church building or so? Well, up? we think not because there's a difference there in the right. realms in right. which those things are being conducted. Yeah, right. It's not it's not a work of the church. Uh, we got uh, read Jim's email there, Jake. Okay, Jim says in particular, is it right to eat in the church building? Define eat. Are we discussing brethren who come together in the building and determined to have a lunch or dinner together, which the scriptures do not authorize? something purely of a social nature, or are we talking about someone chewing gum when they enter the building? Can the preacher take a sack lunch into an office if there is one provided in the building? Can brethren, if they are working on cleaning the building or doing some work on the building, eat a lunch or partake of food while they are there? If there are widows who are of the number, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 9, to be provided for by the saints, could they provide food uh, for those widows at the building? What, are, what were the apostles referring to when they said that they would not serve tables when dealing with the Grecian widows uh, and concerning uh, uh, con- their concern about their being neglected, uh, where would those tables have been? Okay, all right. Uh, thanks, Jim. Thanks for your participation in our program tonight. I got a quote from an article written years ago by Leslie Dieselkamp. Some who are listening will recognize the name Leslie Dieselkamp. He's now passed away, but here's what he said: Some ask. Quote, since the church building is not sacred, and since our homes are not large enough to accommodate large groups, why can't we use the basement of the church building? True, the church building is not sacred, but on the other hand, it's not a carnal, worldly place either. Money for the building was given to be used in spiritual work. Remember, we do not object to eating in the church building. Babies often do. Workers sometimes do. The preacher frequently does so in his office and so forth. But we do object to making the church building an eating place. It's not wrong to laugh in the church building, but it is certainly wrong to make it a house of laughter. 
The church is not the house of God, 1 Timothy 3.15, but it is God's house, John 2.16. The house in which I live is not sacred, but some things are not appropriate there. A doctor's office is not sacred, but who would say that it would be a good place to repair automobiles? A hospital and sheet metal shop don't belong in the same building, so the church and the world should not be housed from the same treasury. Okay. I thought that was pretty good observations. Good observations. Well, we are just about out of time. We got a question now. This leads us. We got just a couple no, minutes we here. To so we need to get into this real quickly. This, this the, sort of prompted our discussion. Yeah. Okay. So we got a handle. I think we got a pretty good handle on authority for the church building and for its appropriate use. Okay. All right. Down the street is a denominational church. Right. And. They allow their building to be used for stuff. For instance, if I wanted to have a reception, let's say, let's say there's a, a wedding anniversary reception I'm planning for some member of my family, and they will let us use their their. They've got a fellowship hall and a full scale kitchen, and they would let us use that. They might charge a fee, may, maybe not, but should I use their facility for something? In other words, I wouldn't do that here, and I don't think it's appropriate. I don't think it's authorized. Could I? Should I use the Baptist Church facility, for instance, for that. Since they say it's okay, they'll let me do it. Or maybe the Boy Scouts. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, denominational churches host the Boy Scouts at their in their buildings. And we would object to that here. Or a lot of churches are used as voting precincts. Okay. What about that? I'd, uh, quickly, if you're in the chat room and can give us some feedback on that. And you participate in those activities if they're at a uh, church building uh, where you obviously would have a problem with those otherwise. Can you participate? I, I, I'm, while we're waiting for some, come on, get, get us some chat. Yeah, we need some, we, we need we'll some take fast call feedback. Too, if you yeah, want to jump it. in real quick. Here, here's, here's what I'm thinking on that, Jacob. See what you see if you agree with me. My reason for not doing that is, uh, I, I guess my bottom line consideration is, I feel like I would be hypocritical. And, and it would make it hard for me to teach them. So I, so I use their facility for such things. And then I have a chance to study with one of their members. And we get to this question of what's the church authorized to be doing, and I'm trying to make my point. The church is only authorized to do certain things, and some and, and denominations are wrong for doing these other things that are not authorized. And then they throw up to me, well, you've been glad to use you, our you, building you for like these. You like to play basketball in our... You played basketball in our gym. You used our fellowship hall for your parents' wedding recep- uh, anniversary reception. Your kids have been coming here for Boy Scouts for the last five years. Uh how do I answer them? We're getting a divergent uh, answer, I think, in the in the chat room. A couple of guests say no to using the denominational building, uh, that it would be hypocritical, as you said. Uh, someone else tends to agree. Then Paul asks, "Are they the church?" They are not. They are, uh, if we understand, they are not the church. So they, he he say to be like going down to the uh, Elks Lodge or something, and uh, you know, or using the community room at the bank, right? He says it'd be the same because it's, neither one of them is a church. They're not the church. We agree with that. Okay. But, again, my problem with it is I, I think it puts me in a compromised position if I have the opportunity, and I hope I do have the opportunity to teach those people what we believe is the authorized And Paul says he would be concerned about his influence. And, and uh, so uh, perhaps that is the overriding uh, consideration here is what kind of influence would you have? Are you being hypocritical if you say you shouldn't do those things and yet you participate in them. And Did you read what Paul said? Influence would be my concern. Sure, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, time. We have a, about 30 more seconds. If you want to type fast, get your comments in, uh, you can do that. Or uh, if you want to give us I a I think call. Uh, just, just to draw the bottom line conclusion here is I think we agree uh, 
uh, on the building, the authority of the building, the use of the building. The question is, and again, I think this is a matter of some con- uh, conscientious question. Sure. I'm not. I'm not trying to bind my conscientious decision on that matter on somebody else, and okay. I, I, I'll be willing to leave some wiggle room for people to exercise their own conscience in that. I just giving you the reasons why I have mine. Okay. Um, I got it quickly. I got an email. And from, but you do need to have a you do need to have a, a decision on that. Yeah. You can, you need to make sure you're not violating your conscience. And you're got being, an email from Tim. Just came in. Uh, by saying there are things you can and can't do in the building, you are designating the building as a holy place. In other words, it's set apart. That's what holy means, and I agree with Tim on that. It's holy in the sense it's set apart for certain designated things, mm-hmm. not holy like the Old Testament temple was, you know, but holy in the sense it has been set apart to certain things. Well, As discussed before, the church is the body of Christ. The building is just a tool. If someone says you can't eat, socialize, et cetera, in a building, what about a church body who meets in a restaurant or the congregation that meets at a local community center? Should we not use those facilities as places of worship? It shouldn't matter how the building is used outside of worship as long as the worship service is done scripturally and the other than worship activities do not interfere with the worship service. Tim, I've got to disagree with you because if, if that statement is true, then Jacob and I can open our hot dog stand slash oil change facility we'll right wash here. our hands before we serve we'll, the hot dogs. Yeah, you know, and, and we'll make sure that it doesn't interfere with the building being used for the worship assemblies. No, we're not going to allow that. You're not going to allow that either, Tim. You've got to think about your, the, the implications of your statement there. He says, if we start making rules about the building outside of promoting or prohibiting non-Christian sinful activities, we might as well treat it as the Old Testament temple, which which has many, many rules. I, I respectfully disagree, Tim. I think you've got to think about the fact that if you're going to say that you can't set any rules out of sight of you can't do it for you sinful things, then you've got to let me have my hot dog stand and Jacob his oil change facility. And if not, why not? Okay. Well, that wraps us up for tonight. Uh, we're over time. But we have had a good discussion. If you disagree with something that you've heard and maybe you'd like to talk about it with us further, we would encourage your phone call or your email anytime. Please do contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Dad, thank you for the time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. I think it's an important subject. All right. And Jeff's been behind the controls again tonight and done a great job. Jeff, thank you for being here. We appreciate you for joining in on the study, and we hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.